Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to the Diary of an Addict podcast. Today's guest is Destiny Burgess. I've known Destiny for quite some time, and I met her when we were both at some pretty low points in our life, so I'm excited for her to share her story of transformation. And before we get started, I just want to say thank you for the overwhelming love and support y'all have shown this podcast. Our goal of helping one person has been met many times over, and for that, I'm forever thankful. Here we go. Today we have Destiny Burgess joining us to share her story. Um, I've known Destiny for quite a bit now. Uh, I met her when we were both kind of out there in our active addiction. And then she turned her life around and found recovery and got sober. And I did for a second. And then we like reconnected and then me, I, I went back out there and we kind of lost touch, but I'm interested to hear her story because, I mean, I like to hear everybody's story. I think you can learn something from everybody, uh, even if that's what not to do. You know, if they tell you that something didn't work for them, maybe it won't work for you, maybe it will. I think that everybody's journey is different. So thank you for agreeing to come on here and share your story, Destiny. Yeah, you're welcome. Pretty excited. Have you ever shared before? Um, I've shared, I think, twice. I did it at um, one of the recovery rallies back in, like, 2018, but I was only a year in then, so I'm a little over six years in now. Oh, congratulations. That's that's an amazing feat there. I hope to be there one day myself and, and surpass that. Oh, yeah, I'm definitely... Definitely here for you, and I hope you, you know, continue on it. I feel like it gets easier as the years go by. Yeah? yeah. Um, you just get more. I, I could I could see how that would make sense in the sense of um, it's unfamiliar at first. So yeah, yeah. I guess you get more you get more comfortable with your new routine and the new. Uh, the new life that you have within the boundaries that you set up for yourself. So I, I can totally see that. Yep, that's it. It's like my life now is normal. Um, and just going back for me just means losing everything I've worked so hard for. And it's like every year that I reach, I gain more and more. And I grow more and more. And it's devastating to even think about going back and losing everything that I've worked this hard for. I I like that. I I have something similar. Not just the same, but uh before I I'd be selling drugs and stuff and like I'd have a lot of like material things, cars, money, clothes and stuff like that, but I still didn't I still didn't have nothing to lose, you know, so I didn't really care if I got locked up or anything like that. But now I feel like I have something worth losing, you know, my, the life that I've built for myself, the connections, the relationships, you know, so I understand that as well. That, yes. 
Already dropping gems, Destiny. I like it. Um, <laughs> I appreciate it, man. So let's uh, go back to the beginning here. Um, for those of you who don't know, I would like for you to introduce yourself. Uh, what's your name? Where are you from? Uh, how'd you grow up? Did you have both parents? Uh, did they drink or use drugs? And if so, did you see them? Okay. Um, well, I'm Destiny Burgess. I'm 30 years old. I have four kids. Um, I grew up in Cherokee, North Carolina, Paint Town community, with my mom mostly. Um, I, I remember times as a small child that my dad was there, but they divorced when I was young. So uh, he wasn't there very, very much that I can remember. Um, I know my mom, she, she used to drink. My dad used to do drugs. And at, at that time, I didn't realize that's what was going on. Um, I was naive to the situation. I was young as a child. I didn't, I thought he just, you know, moved on and had a new life elsewhere. But come to find out, you know, he, he actually was addicted to drugs and alcohol. Um, so I grew up with my mom in the house and my older brother. He stayed with us my entire life, I, I can remember. So it was me, my mom, my brother, and then we got my nephew when he was seven months old. He's 15 now, so he's also been there for many years. Do you um, remember? Oh, go ahead. I was about to say, what else did you ask? Oh, I just asked you a bunch of rapid fire questions just to kind of get you going, you know. Um, yeah. That's pretty good background. Um, when you, this is kind of like, it's not in line with everything, but sometimes I, I'm, when I'm talking to you, I hear stuff and like, most of the time it's stuff that I want to know. I'm not going to lie. But, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> hey, I, I like that because, you know, I would ramble on and on about, one thing if if I could so I do better when I when you when something catches your ear and you want to know more so I like well that. when you said your dad you said that you thought he had just went on and had another life you know that really struck a chord with me because I have daughters and I don't know what they think you know what I mean so well, what I wanted to know was were you mad when you thought that and then if you were mad or if you were hurt or if you were frustrated or anything with what you thought before did it change when you found out that he was battling demons of his own and it had nothing to do with you yeah so for for a long time like you know my mom would allow my dad to come pick me up or come see me whenever he wanted to um and we would make plans for him to come and get me and I would be sitting there waiting majority of the day and he not show up um, so my mom would be like, well, I guess he, you know, he got busy or something. She always tried to protect his character and protect his face by just being like, well, something has happened or something's come up, you know, he'll call tomorrow and let you know what happened and we'll reschedule. And as a kid, I'm like, okay, all right, sure. But as I got a little older and a little older, I started getting angry. I was furious. I was like, what what's wrong with me? Why don't he want to come be around me? 
like. Yeah. Um, did that? Did you think that contributed any to uh, your addiction? I I don't think so because he got his stuff together before I ever went out. Um, and we and we became really close. Like I actually went to live with him when I turned sixteen because I was getting in trouble here in Cherokee. Um, and I went to live with him in Franklin in when I was sixteen. He had strict ground rules, like I mean not, not strict like I couldn't do nothing, but like you're in the house by nine o'clock on school nights and twelve o'clock on weekends. I call your phone, you answer it. I ask you where you're at, you tell me, and if I'm there, if I'm to pull up there, you be there, type stuff. Um, when I lived with my mom, I didn't really have that freedom. I had more of, um, I don't know their parents, you're not going with them. I don't know their parents, they're not coming here. So I felt like I was real sheltered and um, restricted on what I could do. So once I started getting to ride the bus to and from Cherokee to Silva, I had time to mingle with the kids on the back of the bus, you know what I mean? Um, kids that are smoking, dipping, dappling in pills, and, and that's where all that began for me. How old were you? Uh, when I done my very first pill, I was 14 years old. And you was on a school bus? I was on a school bus. Wow. Yep, on a school bus. Um, the girl I tried it with, her family member, was on hospice that lived with her, so she was pocketing some of their pain pills, bringing them to school, and, you know, handing them out like candy and letting people try them so they felt good or, you know. And luckily for some of them, it was that and done. But unfortunately for me, it just opened a door for bigger demons. Did it take off from that point, or was there a period of, like, where you were still experimenting with him? So it, it was pretty much Vicodin and Percocet that she was bringing. Um, but I was to the point where I was texting her every day before school, like, are you bringing some of those? Are you bringing that? And eventually, I guess she got wind that she could get money for them. So it was like, well, if you bring me this much money, I'll bring you this many. And it just went from there. So at about 16 is when I tried my first Roxy 30. And it just was a downhill spiral from there. Um, started hanging around people who I knew could get them, who did them, you know, who could help me find them. And, of course, those people were older into harder things like methamphetamine and Heroin at the time, fentanyl wasn't bad then, but um, so at 17, I smoked my first bowl of meth and went to my CNA clinicals the next day like a dummy. But I thought I was fine, <laughs> but I wasn't. Yeah, um, wow, we went from zero to 1,000 real quick. Yeah, um, yep. yeah. Yep. I got a couple questions. When you were 16, you weren't on mm -hmm. the school bus. What what kind of setting were you in whenever you tried, or was you at school when you tried the Roxy 30? Uh, I was not at school, but I had linked up with a girl from my school. Um, 
she had actually came from Cherokee and transferred to Smoky Mountain. And we became friends. And she was into that kind of stuff. At first, I didn't know. Um, but she had caught wind that I had done the part, remember doing the Percocet and Vicodin and invited me over to her house. And she had a whole table full at 16 years old. Wow. Yeah. Um, and then you said we, you went to Miss. Um, after that, did you, was you dabbling in both or was you, uh, did you, did you, I, go ahead. I was. I was. I only asked because I, in mine, I, I, once I tried a new drug, like there wasn't really, I mean, besides, I think maybe acid, I didn't really care for acid because you could have really bad trips, you know, but right. other than that, once I tried a drug, like I, I didn't really find, like I said, I didn't try any drug besides acid that I didn't like. So once yeah, I, I tried it, right. <laughs> Once I tried it, I was just adding that to the mix of what I was doing already. Already. Know? Yep, I agree. Um, so with with the meth, I, like I said, she had a table full of pills at 16, so she knew people who knew people. And um, at this time, I was over in Franklin, linked up with a girl that she knew so I could get some pills, and they were in the house smoking meth. And she was like, you want to hit this? You know, just passing it in rotation, like like they do when you go into a trap house. Um, and I was like, yeah, I ain't never done it before, but sure. And it was, that was one um, one experience I'll never forget, that's for sure. Um, what do you think about the taste? I almost threw up. <laughs> <laughs> so it came to mind for me, like, uh, I'm with you there. I'm with you in this trap house, you know. I'm, I'm sitting there. I feel like there's cigarette smoke. I feel like it's yeah. kind of dark because all the windows are covered, you know. There's only one light bulb on the ceiling. Yep. It's kind of hot in there because the AC don't work. Uh, and it's smoky, you know. And, and the, yeah. the taste, I could almost taste it when I was with you, you know. Um, yeah. Gives me chills thinking about it, I Makes me makes my stomach turn. Well, that's good. Um, it's not. Yeah. Uh, it's not good, but it's good. I feel like you know, it's not good right. that you get. Phys- I don't want you to have physical ailments, but at the same time, if that's your reaction, then that's a good. Yeah. You, you've associated that with something horrible, you know, and that's. Yeah. Um. When you went to the CNAs, like you were high on meth, right? The clinicals. I did was, they know? Did they I catch was. you? So I had told them um, shortly after I'd got there that I had been, because I showed up late, um, I told them when I got there that I had been to the eye doctor and had my pupils dilated. And so I wore, got to wear glasses the whole day. <laughs> the whole day. Um, but later, one of the nurses came to me and was like, are you okay? You know, you were everywhere today. You, you couldn't sit still and take notes. You couldn't. Um, you didn't couldn't really focus good, and I just wanted to check on you. And I, of course, was like, yeah, you know, I'm fine. So, yeah, I'm sure they all noticed. I just was naive. Oh, I was that I was incognito, I thought. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's it. You you think you're being so slick, you know what I mean? Like you, <laughs> yeah. you got the wool pulled over everybody's eyes, but the only fooled person is yourself, really. You know? Yeah, especially doing these clinicals in an ER. I mean, of all places, <laughs> like they knew, like the they knew. <laughs> I'm sure they've seen it more than one time. So. <laughs> <laughs> like we had a patient in here that was, you know, had his people's dilated too this morning. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, did you? Uh, was that your last day at the clinicals, or did you just keep going back after that? I kept going back. I had told you know the people that I was dealing with. I was like, I, I got to finish these clinicals because if I get kicked out of clinicals and get kicked out of school. I'm getting kicked out of my dad's and he's going to like, he's going to be my ass pretty much. Excuse my language. But, <laughs> um, so I, I, I put a hold on that until I finished my clinicals and graduated high school. Oh, well, that's good. That's good that you was able to do that. Um, for me, uh, I'll I wanted, appeals, though, so. yeah, uh, <laughs> I was actually going to say that too. I used to, Going back to the the drug thing, I would do an upper and a downer because I felt like if I did one, I could do more of the other one, and it just worked in a cycle for itself. That's how I felt, you know. Like, um, I don't know. It's just sometimes uh, I don't know how it is for you, but like hearing things, or sometimes a sight, a smell, uh, a song lyric, you know, it like triggers a memory for me, you know, and like. That's yeah. Just what, um, so we're going. We finished clinicals. We we stopped doing meth. Did you start right after? You, did you start back right after you finished clinicals, or was you able to hold off and just maintain doing pills for a while, or what happened? So truthfully, I didn't really like um, meth in the way that it made me feel, and staying up for days at a time like I didn't like that feeling so to stop wasn't miserable for me like I wasn't feeling that for it or you know wanting to go do it and like I said I was still doing the pills um so once I graduated high school you know you graduate high school you go to the after parties and whatnot and People I haven't got with, the places I was, it was just there. I was like, I graduated, I did my part, I'm going to party. And that's what I did, I partied. Very hard. Yeah. Four, five, straight. That's what I was going to say. How how long was the party? It was five days um, that I remember. Um, I took off from my dad. You know, he was like, you graduated, you're 18. He's like, I'm not hunting you down, I'm not looking for you. Be safe, so I can tell you. And I, and and at this point, he knew. Like I said, he had been into to drugs his his whole younger life. Um, and once again, I thought I was fooling everybody. I thought I was fooling him. Thought he didn't know nothing, but he knew the entire time. Um, he just didn't say anything. Um, he he waited for me to come to him, pretty much. Yeah. Do you think he'd done that because he had been there and he knew that it was no use coming to you until you were ready to talk? I I think so. Um, I think that played a big part in him. 
um, kind of just making sure I stayed safe um, and alive, but not coming and being like, I know what you're doing. You need to stop. Because coming from somebody who had been there, I feel like he knew that that was um, wasted breath. Yeah. That's uh, it's kind of off off subject, but, you know, our kids, they're going to be in for it. You know what I mean? After everything we've been through, like, they ain't going to be able to get away with shit. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing. Nothing. <laughs> That's a good thing, though, I feel like. but I take my experiences as a child and a teenager into consideration deeply with how I raise them, um, with the things I teach them and when I teach them, teach it to them. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's real scary now with people pressing things with fentanyl. Yeah. Because yeah. It, I, I, all I can think is, what if one of my kids gets on the bus and someone offers them a Vicodin or a Percocet and it's laced with strength fentanyl? Yeah. And then it's over. You know? Yeah. I can't. It, it, it's sickening to think about. And, and I'm like, I just hope that I do well enough with them as children and adolescents that they don't want to try those things. Yeah, I think that's uh, that's real right there. Um, I think that now knowing, uh, not necessarily that, I'm, I'm that helped. Don't get me wrong; it helped a lot to have been through what you've been through. But more importantly, on the other side of that, learning how to love yourself enough that you don't need to do that. You learning how to do that for yourself is going to make it easier for you to teach them to do it, you know? Right. Uh, I, that's awesome, Destiny. At this point, um, you graduated. You just got through the party. Um, your dad might know what's going on, but he's just telling you to be safe. Um, what happens now? Where, where do we go from here? So, graduated now. Um you know, but I don't know how many people do. When you graduate and you're 18, um, within a few months, you get your big money from the tribe. Um, so I got my big money. Um, I graduated in June and got my big money that September. Uh, people knew it was coming, so I was fronted a lot of things. I was given a lot of things to be paid back. Um, and I came back to Cherokee, unfortunately. Um, so when I got my big money, they didn't do the staggered payments like they do now. I was given, um, almost a hundred thousand dollars straight out, um, to do whatever I pleased with. And all I can say is that I'm thankful to my higher power to still be here. That's a that's like a recipe for disaster, you know. Um, giving, giving an eighteen year old kid like that much money without like 
not saying that it happened every time, but the potential for like chaos is is way up there with with a situation like that, you know. Man. Did you uh did you go to college or did you start college? I did not. Um I did the I'm going to take a break and I'll go you know in a few months thing and I never did. I never did. Um to be honest, um, when I graduated, it was the the nosedive into my addiction, um, where everything became like chaotic mess in my life. So you were in the, in the midst of your addiction when you got this money. Yeah. Uh, how? And you said that you were. Um, getting fronts and stuff before you got it. I got two questions. One is like how how much of a bill did you have like ran up before you even got it? And then when you got it, uh how long did it last? Um I had like twenty five hundred dollars um owed out by the time I got my big money. Um so not too too bad because uh my mom was getting child support for my dad for me. Um but when I went to live with him, she actually gave me my child support card. So I was actually getting money every month from my dad, who I lived with, but my mom only felt it was right that I get that money since it was for me and I didn't live with her. So I wasn't completely broke. Yeah. Stand up move by your mom, I might add. Oh. That's that's pretty cool. Um, when when did you start to think? I mean, you said you. Uh, that's when the, the nose dive happened. Like when when did uh when were the like red flags? Whenever you was like, man, this is bad. I might have a problem. Um, when I bought a brand new car. Paid it off, drove it off the lot, and raked it not even 24 hours later and totaled it. Ooh, did you have insurance? I did, thank God. But um, I got, I still remember the dates. Like, I don't, I don't remember the details of the accident. All I remember is waking up at my mom's house and thinking someone had jumped me um, because they knew I got my money. And that's when she had to show me pictures and tell me, you know exactly what went on. On September um, 6th of 2011, I got my big money. I got my car, paid it off, cash. Um, September 7th of 2011, I wrecked and totaled it on 441 beside Smoky Mountain. I hit a car head-on, um, did like a 360 in the road, T-boned another car, flipped that car, and um, I heard a lot of people that day. Including myself. What did what happened? Did you break um, some bones? Or? What'd you say? Did you break some bones? Um, I did. I um had fractured my wrist. My eye my eyelid, the top and bottom had stitches. I had stitches in my cheek. Um I had an open wound across my chest from the airbag. The first responders and EMT told my mom that had I not had the model and 
year of car that I had that I probably would have died because of all the airbags they have in the vehicles now pretty much cocooned me inside the vehicle and was the only reason that I survived the accident. Right. What kind of car was that? It was a 2012 Chevy Cruze. Uh, that's how long did it take you to recover from that? Did you get pain pills when you were hurt? I did. Um, but my mom kept them. Um, she kept them, but at that time, my a close relative of mine um, was a Roxy 30 dealer, so I had pain meds by my side 24-7. Um, and that's when my mom really found out what was going on due to the things that were in the car, my talk screen at the hospital, and everything else. I remember what caused it, um, and I had went to my mom's to meet my aunt in Cherokee. I was staying on Barker's Creek, um, so I came to Cherokee to meet my mom and my aunt because my aunt was selling her trailer and her land, um, so I actually paid my aunt for her trailer and her land, and I remember being there, and I was shivering, shaking. I knew I had a fever, and my mom and my aunt was like, oh, you've got the flu or something. You need to go home and go to bed. I knew it wasn't the flu. It was trash fever. Um, so I got in the car. Like I said, I was cold, shaking, so I turned the heat on. Like, got comfortable down in my seat, and I passed out. And that's, that's the last thing I remember. Uh, trash fever? Is that cotton fever? It is. Uh, can you explain what that is for people who might not know, please? Um, so, cotton fever, trash fever is... Pretty much you get, so people who are IV drug users um, use cotton or cigarette filter, pull it up into the needle. And if you get any of that cotton or cigarette filter in the needle and insert it into your veins, it causes you to become really, really sick. It it looks like it looks like the flu, but feels two hundred and ten times worse than that. When that happens, you just gotta let it run run its course too, right? Yep. For the most part, you just have to let it run its course. Um, you know, in our heads, we're like, we're like, you know, we can do more and it'll be okay, but. Most of the time, nothing helps but letting it run, run its course. That's crazy, Destiny. I'm glad you're still here. That sounds like a pretty terrible wreck with a bunch of people involved, you know. And I always tell yeah. people this whenever something like that happens or they survive near-death experiences or, you know, they overdose and they, they get brought back to life. Like, you're here for a reason. I feel yeah. like you, you're here for a reason, you know, so. I, I definitely believe that, especially now with where I am in life. I definitely believe that um, that I, I was brought through all of that for a certain purpose. It makes me happy to hear that. I know 
that when you find your purpose, man, that's when you really start living. I feel like, oh, you know, yeah. Um, Absolutely. After this uh, accident, did you was that did you decide to turn it around then, or did you keep going down the same path? Oh no. Um, that was that was just another little bump in the road. And like I said, my family member was there with the pain medicine. So I wasn't really having to go far. And I feel like things got a little worse at that time. Um, just because she was freely feeding me these pills and as if I wasn't already addicted, I definitely was after that. Did you, um, so when you healed up, did you get a new car? Uh, I what, did. What? My in, my insurance paid for, paid, paid it completely out because it was brand new. Um, not even 24 hours old, didn't even have a hundred miles on it. So, so they paid it all the way out. Um, and I got the same, same car, same brand, same model. I would have too. I, I mean, they say that that was that was a hell of a car right there. Um, yeah, yeah. I was. And looking at the pictures, I definitely see why they say they said that. Did you? Uh, I imagine that why you had your big money, there wasn't really like no crazy moments other than the crash, you know. I mean, there might have been crazy moments, but not like struggling moments, I guess I'd say. No, when I had my big money, everything was smooth sailing. Everybody loved me. I loved myself, so I thought, um, you know, I was good to go. I could, I gave my mom money, gave my sister money, um, you know, had bought I had bought the place for my aunt, but the loan on her house that she was buying had actually fell through, so she had to give me that money back. And instead of going and investing in another place elsewhere, I looked at it as, oh yeah, that that's thirty more grand I got in my bank account. So I never went and purchased another home. I just put the money back in the bank and blew through it very quickly. How quickly? So I got my big money in September. Um, and by June of the following year, I was completely broke. You know, that's a, a very similar, you know, I mean, I've, I've heard that uh, in even faster times, uh, Makes me glad for the younger generation that they do stagger it, you know? Yes. Uh, yes. So that they can do something smart with it, do something productive. I feel like by the time they get the majority of it, when they're 25, you know, like all of them, if if they already got a house, I feel like all of them are going to buy one, and that, that's like should be the ultimate goal. So I, I like yeah. how that fit in for them. Um, me too. I'm, I'm so thankful I have. I have nieces and family members and things who are in active addiction, and 
And, you know, it, it worries me for them. Um, I've lost very close friends of mine to overdose. And, you know, it, it really takes a beating on your heart when to know that some of these people that you once sat right beside in the same room didn't make it out alive. You can't help but to think, like, dang, that really could have been me. Yeah. I get what you're saying 100%. Sometimes it even, for myself, you know, like some of these uh, events that I'd be going to and like some of the things I'm a part of and becoming a part of, you know, I'm like, man, I'm, I get a little bit of survivor's guilt, I guess, you know. Yeah. Uh, so I, I, I get that 1,000%. Um, so once you... Now the nitty gritty part I feel like is coming, like where 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 the smooth sailing of you having the money, you know, you said everybody loved you, you know. Then whenever you that that money train comes to a halt, you know, um I've been in this position before. I know that when it does come to a halt, man, you really see things for what they really are, you know, not just I seen a quote one time that said everybody wants to be friends with the prince, you know. Um, yeah. When you do have money, I'm sure you had pills. I'm sure that people were around you because I, and when I was out there, not only I wasn't like giving money away and I wasn't giving drugs away, but if you were around me and I was getting high, you were going to get high too, you know. So. Right. right. So then you you got you got lots of friends that know that that are around because they know that. Did they all disappear when your money ran out? Oh, yeah. Um, majority. Um, I can't say all of them, but a majority. Um, there were a handful that, you know, kind of stuck around and we struggled and thugged it out together. But... A lot of people just disappeared. Didn't have nothing, didn't want nothing to do with me. You know, um, even close family members, like, you've got nothing to offer us now, so why do we need you here type stuff. Would you say that this is when your addiction really took the down downward spiral at this point? Yes, it did. Um, I was doing whatever I needed to do to get money um, as far as like stealing, thieving, manipulating, lying um, to, to get money to, to feed my addiction. Um, Cause if, if I didn't have it, I, I didn't function. Um, do you remember when I first met you? I don't remember I don't remember where we were um or what we were doing, but I'm sure it was <laughs> somewhere we shouldn't have been. We was at a trap house. We'll leave it at that. But you had like six TVs, Destiny. And when I say you had six TVs, these motherfuckers was in the box still, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> And somebody was like, Hey, somebody wants to know if you want a TV, you know, and I had some pills at the time and I I was like, yeah, you know, this is, and 
in the drug world, that's a normal occurrence. You know, somebody bringing you something to trade, you know. Yeah. I'm expecting <laughs> to go out here and, like, find find a TV, like, in the back seat or strapped to the top of a car. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you came in like Walmart. You know, you had, like, the 65-inch the curve, the, the 4K TV, I think. <laughs> I was like, I didn't even know they made this, you know. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yeah, that's. That's what I mean. <laughs> yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then, uh, I'm not trying to, like, glorify or anything, Not none of that. I was just wanting to speak to the fact that I did see you doing whatever you had to do, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. And from the time yeah. I met you, though, you wasn't, like, you, I don't know. But you was always cool with me, you know. I remember one of the times that, like, You've been there for me numerous times, but one of the first times that you were really there for me, um, I was at a motel, uh, like in Dillsboro, I think. And like, I was like, I had been up for like five days and like, I saw people were like surrounding the building looking for me, you know, <laughs> and uh, I called you and you came and picked me up. And like, from then on, I was like, man, she's cool with me, but uh yeah, I remember that. I, I do. <laughs> yeah. You even told me then, like, he's like, I've called people for two hours, and, you know, the first time I called you, you picked me up. And I'm like, yeah, man, I know. I know what it's like. So come on, let's get away. <laughs> so I'll forever be grateful for you for that. But um, so we're, we're stealing TVs. We're doing what we got to do. And, for those of you listening, I, I don't I don't want Destiny to feel singled out or anything because uh, if you haven't been, and I'm not trying to downplay other addictions either, but you know, like if you if you haven't like withdrawn from like I don't think you've really been through the. I mean, that's a level of doing whatever the fuck it is I got to do to get that drug and make this withdrawal stop. That I don't think is. There's not many things comparable to the, it's more of a need at that point. You know, you need to do whatever you need to do. Like you got to do it, you know, so. And like I said, there's, there was no functioning without it. Like that you, you, if, if you're hurting, you can't think, you can't move, you can't do anything to live your life. It's literally debilitating, um, and will put you down faster than anything I've, I've, I've ever I've ever experienced in my life. Yeah, I was uh, I was actually having a conversation with someone the other day who who they're a young kid from down here where I live now, but he was like, I don't understand how somebody could do fentanyl, you know. And, um, so I was explaining to him that there's sometimes that you know. As with anything, you start to build a tolerance. So at some point, you get to where your habit is too expensive for you. So you have to do things. But even then, sometimes the fix that you're able to get ain't enough to get you high. All it does is make you stop withdrawing, you know. So I was explaining to him that. It sounds crazy for, I mean, it is crazy. Don't get me wrong, but it sounds really crazy. Like, you might think to your head, like, how can someone, why would somebody want to do a drug that strong? 
but it's so that with the little bit of money they scrounge up or with whatever they can get for what they steal and trade, they want to get the most bang for their buck. You know, in addition to stop being sick and being able to function, they want to be high too. So yeah, yeah. I, yeah. Just, I just wanted to say that but, um, because I know there is a lot of, I mean, even for myself, not not necessarily with other people, but looking back on some of the things I did, I'm like, man, how could I have done that? You know, but yeah. I just want to just say that because I mean, it is crazy though. Regardless, it is crazy to it, to do a drug that strong. You know, um, <laughs> it it definitely true. it definitely was is is very tough. Um, and I do just want to add that. Um, when I was out stealing and, you know, pawning and trading, all that stuff did catch up to me finally. Um, and it wasn't until I got sober that these charges came about on me. But they had been putting their investigation together. Um, and it, it, it all came back. It all came back to me. So in the long run, it was not worth it, but in the in the time I needed it, I, I my body physically could not function. I understand that one thousand percent. What happened with the uh, charges? Um, so I had I had gotten sober. I think um, a month. I had already been like over thirty days sober at this point, and. I catch wind that there's warrants out for me. And I'm like, wait, what? Like, I'm working. I'm working with family safety, trying to get my kids back. I'm just confused. Like, I've been doing good. What do you mean there's warrants? And there was warrants in Jackson County and Mason County um, for larceny and removing anti-theft devices from stuff I had done many, many, many months prior. So, um, I, 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 of course, turned myself in, took care of those charges, but, you know, I, I had just, like I said, 30 days or so sober, so people were catching wind that I was trying to do better and be better, and then all of a sudden, I'm back in the paper again with larceny charges, and it it was, it was heart-crushing because people were like, oh, yeah, she says she's doing good, or you know, this, that, and the third, but look at these charges. They're new. They she just got arrested. And and that that was hard. It was it was real hard not to use that as a well, people already think I'm messing up again, so why don't I? It it was it it was really hard to not use that as leverage to go back out and use. Yeah. I can understand that. Uh as for me, I uh I know exactly what that is. I used to, me, myself, I would create the the excuse to use this leverage, you know. <laughs> I'd make it happen so that I could justify it. So I understand that 1,000%. Yeah. And also speaking to the fact of how you, man, everything does catch up with you. Um, there's consequences for every action that you do. Even if you think you get away with it in a moment, it can come by mm. to an ass later. Yeah. Um, and that's still one of the obstacles I face, you know. Uh some of the consequences for some of the 
actions I've done is, you know, I'm having to rebuild connections with my daughter's, mainly yeah. my daughter's mother, you know, and that's a process, but I have to do it. You know, it's something that we, you know, I don't know. I guess you can't run from your responsibilities. You know what I mean? I did that for a while. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um. So what? Uh, you said you were sober for thirty days. What What happened before? To uh, what was the event that made you want to get sober in the first place? So um, I had two kids. Caden was um, a little over one, about to be two, and Skyler was a month old, about to be one, and. I had been, I had gone to meet someone to get some some drugs, and she tried to rip me off. So she tried to take my money and not give me anything for it. And as a drug addict, that just does not fly. Um, so she got in her car, I got mine, and I chased her all through Cherokee. Um, Every turn she made, I made because I was determined to either get my money back, get my stuff, or get her. There was one of three things going to happen. So she ended up calling the police. Um, the police came about seven, eight deep, surrounded me at Hungry Bear. I had my kids in the car. She had told them I was ramming her car, um, that I had drugs in the vehicle, Um and, you know, she felt threatened for her life because she thought I had weapons. So I get pulled over. They, of course, jerked me and my partner at the time out of the car, search everything. They find paraphernalia, um, baggies with residue, and I've got my two kids in the car. So they call my mom come to where we are because they're like you're going to jail and either your mom take your kids or family safety take your kids and place them in a foster foster home um so i took the lesser of the two evils and and let my mom come get them even though i fought i fought them at the at the um site i was like no nobody's taking my kids like nobody take like i'm not going to jail <laughs> um but it was inevitable. I had to go. So I let my mom take them. Um, I went to jail. I stayed for, I think, three days before I got to see, got to go to court. Um, and they let me out because family safety had started in their own investigation and was in the process of taking my kids out of my custody. Um, so they let me out because I... Family safety had to come to my mom's, meet with me there because that was my address at the time, and let me know that these kids are not to leave with you. You're not allowed to be alone with them. You're not allowed to leave with them. And you're not even allowed to see them unless your mother says so. And to me, that was... That was hard to be like, so my own children that I've birthed, I have to ask permission to see. Um, so, you know, I I left, I left it at that. Um, 
went on about my business. That didn't stop me from using at at that time. Um, this is, I think, they came in in June. So the beginning of June, they came in and, and took them out of my custody, gave them to my mom. And I had, you know, continued to run the streets, whatever. Um, I was with a friend who had overdosed like two nights later. Some of the same cops that had just arrested me, like when I had got arrested, showed up and was like, didn't you just get your kids taken away? And here you still are in the same situation around the same stuff. And I'm like, man, just leave me alone. You know, like, stop talking to me. I was I was mad at everybody. It was everybody's fault but mine. So I was mad at them. And, you know, so they, um, in July, I had told my partner at the time, I said, or so my son, it, let, me, let me go back and do it. My son's birthday is July 16th. My mom said, you can come over the weekend of his birthday and you can see him for a little while. Um, don't think you're staying here long because you're not. You're not. You're not showering. You're not. You know, it's not. It's none of that. You come to see your kid for his birthday and then you leave. Um, so I went um, that weekend to see him. He pitched a fit to leave with me. He cried and he cried and he cried. And that kind of. Um, That hurt me on a different level. So, so that night I took, um, I took my partner at the time back to Murphy, and I told him I said, I don't care what you do. All I know is that I'm going to detox tonight. When I get out, you better be sober. Or you can hit the road too. So I dropped him off. I went. I waited for my mom and everybody to go to sleep. I reached out to my older brother, and I said, "Hey, I'm going to come to mom's when she's in the bed. I'm going to take a shower, and I want you to take me to detox." And he did. And that was July 18th. And I've been sober ever since. Uh, my kids were my motivation in the beginning. Um, it, they were my they were my push to go. Um, I had I knew that I needed to go. I knew that I was getting too old and things were getting too out of hand that I needed to go and get help. Um, but they they were that push that I needed to to actually do it. And so I did. That's and, awesome. And anytime I, you know, I, I I look back and I wouldn't I wouldn't trade it for for the world because I I don't think I'd be where I am today if none of that happened. Man, that's that's when you know that you you've grown to another level of uh, maturity and like as a person and even even it speaks to the healing that you've had that you can say that you know. Um, after going through, you know, I felt the pain in the moment, just of you reliving it right there. So, 
for you to say that. I mean, that kudos to you. You know, everything does happen for a reason. It's all. It's hard to see it in the moment. It's very hard to see it. And I'm, I mean, sometimes it's impossible to see the reason in the moment while the storm is happening. But did you go to rehab after detox? I didn't. I went to detox for seven days. Um, and then I just did NA and SAIOP classes and therapy. Um, I went to every group that they offered on Nishi. Um went to every meeting that I could I could. I went to uh I yeah, every meeting, every group, every therapy session that I could get myself into, parenting classes, you know, all that. And that's and and, and I did it for I think a, a year straight. Um at about six months, I I got a job, and then I got another job, and so I, um, I had two jobs. Got my own place. Got my car. I was passing all my drug screens for family safety, and the come December of 2017, I was um, granted full custody of my kids back. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yep. That, I, and, I love and, and that and that itself opened a a whole nother level of I have to keep going. I didn't do this in vain. I did this for a reason, and I have to continue to push through and and do more. What What do you think helped you the most? Was it the classes? Was it uh, staying busy? Was it just the sense of purpose that you had for your kids? Uh, was it a combination? Yes. So, so really, I found that staying busy helped me a lot in early recovery. Um, just being around people who were trying to do the same thing I was doing, who were trying to do better and trying to be better and trying to get the help that that we needed. Um, being around people who I felt knew what was knew what I was going through and you know had had made it out and were on their way just like me um it helped it helped a whole lot and even still to this day six six years later over six years later people are like girl I don't know how you do all this with four kids twins that are two years old travel football work you know they're like we don't know how you do it like they're like we would be so worn down, but it's what keeps me going. That's awesome. Uh, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, what are you doing today? We went through the the storm with you. Now let's uh, see a little bit of sunshine on the side of that. <laughs> okay. Um, so um, once I hit nine months sober, I um, went for my peer support and. Right at a year sober, I was granted my certification and got a job with the tribe. And that's where, where all the good stuff begins. Um, so I got my job with the tribe at the, the Needle Exchange as a harm reduction specialist and peer support specialist. Um, so I, I, I worked there for a little over a year. And 
Then I moved to Asheville. Um, I felt like I wanted to be able to to use my lived experience to to help, but I also felt like it was too soon to do it in my stomping grounds, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. I wanted to do the work and I wanted to be in the field and help and support and be there. But I I didn't have faith in myself at the time that I could stay home, be with the people I used with, I party with, and trying to to help them out. Um I just felt like it would it would it would be hard in early recovery to to stick around. Um, so I made that move to Asheville and worked and I've worked as a peer support for five years now. Um, I just recently got a job at Family Safety as a targeted <laughs> as a targeted case manager and qualified mental health professional. So the same facility where all this started is where I am now. Man, that's crazy. That I mean, it's not really crazy. We always there's always full circle moments, man. I love to see those. That's fucking awesome, Destiny. Yeah. Yep. So I, I worked as a peer support for five years. Um, peer support specialist, harm reduction specialist, crisis intervention, community health worker, recovery coach. I'm in the process of finalizing my feedback, and I work as a case manager. So that's awesome. I I just want to. I'm so proud of you, Destiny. That not only that um, for the steps you've made, but for you know going back to where it started for you. You know what I mean? That that that's awesome. That's what it's all about, right there. And I think. Man, your story and the position that you're in, like you're gonna make you're gonna have such a huge positive impact in that in that spectrum. You know what I mean? Yeah, and and that's that's what I want. So for for the five years I've worked in the field as a peer support, I people are like, well, well, why do you do it? What what what's your drive? What do you what do you want to come from it? And it's and to be honest, I want to be for someone what I needed when I was there. Um, peer support wasn't really that big of a thing um, when I was coming into recovery. It was, uh, there was a few around, but it wasn't as big as it is now. And, 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 I, and I really just want to be that person I needed for someone else. Um, Someone to be like, hey, let me walk with you. Let me not just tell you, oh, you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do this. There's many avenues, there's different pathways, and and I just want to be someone that can walk with these folks to say, hey, I really do know what you're going through. Like, let's do this together. Let me show you what I know that can help you. Yeah. Let me show you the. Let me show you my walk and help you get your walk together. You know? Yep, yep. And and like you said before, I mean, everybody's path to recovery is different. And I support it all. 
I support harm reduction. I support any and every pathway to recovery, whatever that looks like for each individual person, because nobody is the same. Nobody's the addiction is the same. Yeah, we've all done the same stuff. We, we've all been in the same places. But what heals us is not ever, ever going to be the same. We're all going to have our different views. We're all going to have our different walks. We're all going to have our different, you know, if it's medicated assistant, if it's complete abstinence, if it's um, THC, it, you know, whatever. But there needs to be people out here that that support that. Um, I, I I noticed and seen a lot that people would say that if people aren't completely abstinent, then they're not in recovery. Um, but that's not for any of us to say. Uh, recovery is what the individual person makes it. And if that be MAT, if that be THC, if that be, you know, Whatever that looks like for them, that's for them. It's not for any of us to be like, no, that's not right, or no, that don't count, or, you know, whatever. Yeah, I think a lot of that comes back to, because they never say that, you know, they never say that it's this route of recovery that's the best. It's just more of a fact in in my experiences of, your recovery don't look like mine, so I don't like yep. it. You know what I mean? Yep. And that's very common, especially, like, in the bigger cities. It's like, oh, you you do what? You ain't got where? And that, that's, not, that's not for any of us to say is the right or wrong way. Because, to be honest, there's no right or wrong way in this. It's an individual journey. And... Some people may have similarities in their recovery, and some people may be polar opposites in their recovery. But again, yeah. it's, there's so they can do what they want. They're living productive lives, and they're, you know, maintaining their their life, their livelihood, their children, their jobs, their their social lives. Who who are we to be like? Oh well, you're on MAT, so it don't count. Yeah. You got to put an asterisk by your accomplishments. <laughs> right. Destiny, <laughs> um, if you if you could uh, if you could go back and tell yourself, you could tell young Destiny, let's say a twenty year old Destiny, you could give her some advice. Would you? Would there be anything that you'd say to her, or do you think she would not listen? Uh, I would tell her that you your love you're cared about and you have people who are there for you. You have people who care. You don't have to do this alone. And we got your back. That's that's good. I like that. Um if you were just, if there was somebody that was struggling right now with active addiction, would you give them the same message that you gave the young destiny, or would you have a different message for them? It'd be the same. You're not, you're not alone. 
You know, you don't have to do it by yourself. We care. You do have people who care, whether you think so or not. We care. You know, I don't care if it's a stranger on the street, on the side of the street. I care. The world needs more of that stuff right there. Um, now, lastly, I, 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 I ask everyone this. Um, because addiction, you know, it's so much more than drugs and alcohol and even more than that. It affects so much more than just the person using, you know. Um, so if there's a if there's a someone out there listening right now and they have a family member struggling, say their son struggling, their brother, their nephew, their dad, uh, do you have any advice for that person? Don't give up on them. Love them however you need to love them. Just don't give up on them. Reach out every now and then just to let them know you're thinking about them, that you do love them, and that you do care. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Uh, that's a tough, you know, it's it's tough to be in that position. You know, it's very frustrating. Uh, I know whenever people that love me would try to talk to me in the midst of my active addiction, man, I was an asshole. Um, I, I would try to, I would try to say mean things to them to distract them from the yeah. fact that what they really wanted to talk to me about, you know? Yeah. And so yeah. I just, I would like to add to what you say that when people say mean things to you, like whenever you're say your brother, your sister, your son, that person, that your loved one that's struggling, you know, when they tell you that they hate you or they try to point your flaws out, it's nothing mm. to do with you. You can't take that personal. And I know it's hard in the moment, you know, when someone's cussing you, but they're just trying to make you feel the level of hurt that they're feeling themselves. Yep. And when yep. you can when you can hear hear that hear their insults with that in mind you know it makes it a little bit easier to let it roll off your back yeah yeah and and i and i'm i agree with that 110 percent. you know i've said some mean things to, to my family and and looking back i'm like dang they were just trying to tell like let me know they cared and and in saying that when you call if you know they're not you know if you know they're going to yell at you or cuss at you, you know, I would just recommend just be like, just call them to let you know I care about you. Just call them to let you know we love you. Just call them to check on you, see how you're doing, and and leave it at that. Um, it, it, it gets hard when our family members call us and want to lecture and fuss and gripe at us because they want us to be better and do better. Um Sometimes all we need to hear is the I love you, just checking on you, yeah. just thinking about you. And when you keep it short and sweet like that, you know, it kind of minimizes the chance that they have to, you know, hurl their insults at you or try yeah. to make you try to, you know. Yeah. I don't know that everybody does that, but I know I did, so. I, I did, too. I did. I was I was nasty to to my family, my friends that, you know, cared about me. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm still apologizing for some of that stuff, but you know, it, I just wanted to put that out there. Uh, 
Definitely, thank you for sharing your story. I I knew I've known you, but I didn't know all that, you know. And uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's stuff you don't hear about when we're running the streets. And <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. It's it makes the you know the the storms of life, the storms that we go through, the stuff that we endure. When you come out of it on the other side, it just makes the sunshine that much sweeter. I feel like, and yeah, I agree. I'm I'm so proud of you. I didn't even know. I, I mean, it's no fault of yours because my mom told me the other day that even when I was locked up, when I was doing crazy stuff, you were still checking on me. So it wasn't no fault of yours that we lost contact. But in the contact that I lost, and I talked to you, and I lost like. You know, I'd, I'd skip like years. So the last right. time I, I talked to you, you were just now becoming a peer support specialist. So now yeah. the journey through the hospital, the courthouse, and then full circle back to family safety. Like, I want to add to this, too, that I don't think there's a better person to be qualified to be a case manager at family safety than you right now. And that's not a knock of anybody else there, but it's like, the story and what you've been through like makes you like the perfect candidate to be that person helping people like you because you were them, you know? Yeah. And, and that's my, and that's, I think that's, that's a big thing too. And they all tell me all the time, like the investigator that was on my case is now the supervisor and my social worker is now the director, you know, um, and, and they're just like, man, to see where you started, to have you here is just going to be, you know, phenomenal. To And, and I'm the first one to come in um, and be working there as someone who is on the other side of the table. That's went through this system? Yep. That's awesome. Hopefully you're not the last. I, uh, and that's what I told him. I said, I... I said, I hope you guys, you know, you like what, what you see with me coming in and, and you know, I hope eventually you'll bring you'll you'll bring more through because what we can offer is, is unlike anything, you know, anybody else can offer because we've been there, we know. Yeah, just just the this the just the rapport that you can build with people that just the instant connection with people that know that know you and what you've been through, you know, they're going to, they're going to listen to what you say and what you say is going to resonate with them so much deeper just because they know, you know, um, I'm, I just want, that's, that's awesome. Destiny. I'm so proud of you. Um, I appreciate it. I'm very proud of you myself. Um, I remember working at granny's together. That's, we had, that's when that's your first little bout of sobriety that you had. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> so be just from seeing you there and seeing you now, man, you've come so far and definitely proud of you. Definitely glad that we've reconnected and and can spread this light and love um, together as a recovery community. Yes, ma'am. Thank you very much. <laughs>